Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. It's Monday, November 14th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, polar night and midnight sun. What's it like living in a place that stays absolutely pitch black for two and a half months? And what can we learn from the people who live there? Plus, a new emergency alert system in the U.S. to let you know when an earthquake is nearby. And Mountain Dew's latest holiday-themed flavor, which, oddly enough, is kind of a combination of the first two segments today. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. If you're already mourning the end of daylight saving time and dreading the ever-shorter, colder, darker days ahead, just be glad you don't live in Svalbard. The cluster of islands up near the North Pole just entered polar night. For the next two and a half months, it will be pitch black 24 hours a day. Except the residents of Svalbard and other Arctic regions that experience limited daylight in the winter months might actually be better adjusted mentally and emotionally than those of us in more temperate climates. Claire Murashima recently wrote a piece about Polar Night for NPR's Morning Edition, and in particular profiled Cecilia Blomdahl, a Swedish native who has been living in Longyearbyen, the world's northernmost town, for years, and shares her experiences on YouTube and TikTok. And Blomdahl's videos are super interesting. She shares fascinating facts about her town, like how if you're having a baby, you have to travel to the mainland a month ahead of your due date because no hospitals on the island are equipped to deliver babies, and peeks into her everyday life that seem extraordinary to the rest of us, like when she had to give her dog a bath after he rolled in polar bear poop, and she casually says, we knew right away it was polar bear poop and not reindeer poop. As if reindeer poop is so much more normal and expected, which for people in Svalbard, it is. Reindeers and polar bears are both common there. Polar bears are common enough of a threat that most people take guns with them whenever they leave their house as protection. Gun control still seems pretty strict, though. Blomdahl in another video shows how there's a person at the grocery store that you check your gun with while you shop and then you pick it up again when you leave. But anyways, right now all eyes are on Blomdahl's videos as Svalbard enters polar night. As Blomdahl and NPR's Marishima explains, the 24-7 pitch black period lasts for two and a half months, but the full polar night period is technically four months long because it is bookended by what is sometimes called civil twilight. And during civil twilight, you get a bit of sun during sunset and sunrise, which last for four hours long and are apparently absolutely beautiful. When Civil Twilight first starts at the end of summer, you get these epic pastel sunsets in pinks and yellows. And then as autumn winds down into winter, they become more blue. Blomdahl's videos show the strikingly royal blue skies during this period of time. 
And this four months of polar nights, of course, means that the opposite happens in the summer months. The four months of constant daylight is called polar day, or midnight sun. That's right, it's not just a Twilight book, it is a real phenomenon. And I honestly don't know which would be more disorienting for me personally. The sun never going down or never coming out. For some reason, as much as I love long, sunny days, I think the permanent sun would be harder for me. You know, I know that blackout curtains exist, but I feel like the constant sun would really affect my ability to sleep. And that apparently tracks. Murashima spoke with researcher Carrie Leibowitz, who said that the constant daylight can be harder on the body than pure darkness. Leibowitz first began studying the emotional well-being of people living in far northern towns as part of her Fulbright scholarship at the University of Tromso. And the first thing that stood out to her was that many of these populations actually have relatively low rates of seasonal depression. Leibowitz told NPR, quote, I started realizing how much I had brought my own American conception of winter into this research study. I just sort of assumed that the polar night would be miserable and would be a time that was really hard for people. But when I talked to people in Norway about it, they really liked the polar night. End quote. And that's certainly consistent with Blomdahl's videos, in which she is positively giddy about the onset of Polar Night, and regularly responds to comments confirming that she really does love it. Leibowitz explains, quoting NPR, The focus is more on anticipating the Polar Night and all of the wintertime activities that it brings, rather than on preparing for the lack of light. End quote. Those wintertime activities and the intentionally slowed-down lifestyle is referred to as kushli, the Norwegian answer to the Danish huga. Leibowitz describes it as a time of lots of candles, soft lighting, cozy blankets, sitting around the fire, drinking warm beverages, and gathering in calm and peaceful ways. Blomdahl notes that her town really gets into the spirit of things with lights and decorations looking just like a Hallmark movie. The idea of anticipating the long winter nights and focusing on the fun and different things that you get to do during that time is part of why I personally love celebrating holidays so much. I grew up in a place where the weather barely changed each season and daylight saving time didn't make too much of a dent in our day-to-day -day experiences. Living in Amsterdam and then New York City as an adult, it was a jolt to my system, seeing the skies darken at 4pm. Trudging through the dark and cold for so many months on end was initially tough for me. But over the years, I've come to appreciate the different activities and marvels that can only happen this time of year, in this weather. And having those things to look forward to, certain rituals, holiday celebrations, food, music, whatever it is, really helps take the edge off of any seasonal depression that might creep in. That is the whole point of these holidays, no matter what religion, after all. These midwinter celebrations were all meant to give people something to look forward to in the long, hard, dark, cold winter months. Hilda Fallenstrom, a climate data specialist, told NPR, quote, I think the fact that if you look at the darkness as a limiting thing, well, then you're going to get limited by it. But if you see it as an opportunity to experience something else, to me, it's easier to find the beauty in the darkness. 
Strom also said, quote, This darkness is complete, so you have to sort of live with that, and you have to see the beauty in that. And to me, that's not hard at all. I kind of feel even more immersed by nature when I walk out into the darkness, end quote. And apparently, working to feel better during these months won't just help you during these months, but maybe throughout the year in general. Leibowitz told NPR, People who had a positive winter mindset were also more likely to have high life satisfaction, experience more positive emotions, be psychologically flourishing, and sort of pursue the kinds of challenges that lead to personal growth. End quote. But of course, I know I can't just say, hey, change your perspective, man, because depression is real. And the whole point is that it's often sort of irrational, that you feel it even when all sense says that you should be happy. So to that point, I will also add some further crucial context about the happiness of people who live in places like Svalbard. Many of them self-select to live there. NPR notes that most people in Svalbard choose to move there for winter activities or the Northern Lights or because they took a job there. So the kind of person who lives there is probably already more predisposed to enjoy winter. So we can take some tips from them about how to lean into the beauty of darkness and the cold while also recognizing that not everyone is going to love winter as much as them. For now, I think I'm satisfied watching Cecilia Blomdahl's stunning and fascinating videos about polar nights while I enjoy my eight hours of daylight here in New York. From Arctic winters to American earthquakes, there is now an earthquake early warning system to let you know when you are about to experience an earthquake. So, crucially, this is not an earthquake prediction app. This is a system developed over a period of two decades by the U.S. Geological Survey that sends you a message when an earthquake has already begun and is about to hit your location. At the end of October, the system, called ShakeAlert, successfully notified 2.2 million people that an earthquake was imminent. And on average, people had about 19 seconds of warning. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it can be enough to get you to safety. Or, as Jeffrey Fowler, writing in the Washington Post, said when he experienced the alert, at least mentally prepare yourself. Now, not having ever experienced an earthquake myself, I had never really thought about whether or not this kind of technology exists, and apparently it is a bit more of a technological marvel than you might think. One of the keys to developing ShakeAlert, according to operations staffer Dave Crocker, who spoke to the Washington Post, is our smartphones and the fact that they always know our location. Quoting the Post, When a USGS field station detects an earthquake starting in one place, its network can calculate where else will likely also experience shaking. And knowing your location means the apps and cell towers can beam out the warnings only to the phones in places that might need it. It's easy to take smartphones for granted, but the last time San Francisco had a major earthquake, in 1989, officials could communicate with people only over radio, TV, and loudspeakers. End quote. Now, how it works is that the USGS has field stations roughly every three to six miles in seismically active areas. Those consist of trunk-sized green boxes, inside which are solar-powered motion sensors. One, a version of an accelerometer, measures violent shaking, and the other, a velocity sensor, detects small trembles. The sensors send their readings back to the USGS central computers all day and night. And when a significant shaking is reported, 
The computers assess the magnitude and location, and they then look at other sensors to determine potentially false readings, as well as clues to where the shaking will spread to. And this all happens in under five seconds, after which the alerts get sent out. Quoting the post, The system is effective because long-range earthquake waves travel through rock relatively slowly. Speeds can be as low as 1.9 miles per second. That's why the farther you are from the epicenter, the more warning you'll receive. End quote. Now, as for how to get the alerts, the USGS is currently working with partners to send the alerts out. They are already baked into Android's latest operating system, so if you have an Android phone, you will automatically receive these alerts. Hopefully that means they'll one day get added to iPhones, though for now Apple says they currently have no plans to do so. So until then, you do need to download one of two approved apps that ShakeAlert works with. I will put a link to ShakeAlert's website in the show notes so you can read more about how to use it on iPhones and other non-Android devices. The post points out as well that earthquakes of a magnitude of 5 or higher do get sent out to all phones, like other government emergency alerts, so as long as you have those enabled on your device, you will receive them. In the future, they hope shake alerts will go straight to internet-connected speakers, smoke alarms, and more, even notifying trains and elevators so they know to slow down and stop. All that said, Crocker acknowledges the remaining shortcomings even of this advanced tech, telling the Post, quote, The Earth never reveals all her secrets. We still have earthquakes in places we're not sure they're going to happen. End quote. And for my fellow earthquake noobs, there is apparently updated guidance on seeking protection. Standing under a doorway is out. Now, emergency officials recommend dropping down and grabbing onto something solid, like a wall, and covering your head to protect it from anything that falls. And with 20 extra seconds to prepare thanks to shake alerts, hopefully more and more people will be able to get into that position and stay safe. Well, if you're looking for things to add to your list to get excited about this winter, and a quake that you don't need to seek shelter for, get stoked for Mountain Dew's 2022 holiday flavor, Fruit Quake. In a press release, the company said, quote, Fruitcake has long been known as the holiday dessert no one actually wants to touch, let alone eat. Mountain Dew is changing that. We're making everyone's holiday dreams come true by swapping the dated dessert with a tastier treat. End quote. And quoting Food & Wine, The brand describes Fruit Quake as offering a flavor that merges the iconic citrus flavor of Mountain Dew with a blast of the fruity taste of the holidays. Fruitcakes often eschew citrus in favor of heavier fruits. For instance, our Christmas fruitcake recipe from Andrew Zimmerman features cherries, raisins, cranberries, and apple. Not a lemon, lime, or orange in sight. So don't expect Mountain Dew Fruitquake to drink like liquid fruitcake. End quote. Like the company's Halloween-themed Mountain Voodoo and their numerous new and rebooted flavors they've launched just this year, the Fruit Quake bottle comes with a decadently decorated label. In this case, there is also a green cap and what is either a red bottle or this is a very tomato juice-looking soda. Could be both. The soda is reportedly dark red. Early reviews from the Mountain Dew subreddit describe it as a holiday version of Code Red, Sprite Cranberry but red and labeled as fruitcake, 
and a bitter, cold version of a citrus Christmas drink. Which makes me wonder if anyone has or will try heating it up, a la Hot Dr. Pepper, which, if you don't remember, is the recipe for basically making mold wine using Dr. Pepper. Some people genuinely still drink it, even though it was basically just Dr. Pepper trying to increase sales in the cold winter months by creating an actual recipe, whereas Coca-Cola nailed that market by simply throwing Santa Claus and polar bears into their ads. I'll put a link to my previous episode on Hot Dr. Pepper in the show notes. But anyways, some people are getting their hands on Mountain Dew Fruit Quake already, but when I checked out all the major grocery stores online, it was listed as unavailable still, so your mileage may vary. Mountain Dew themselves haven't mentioned it on social media since the initial announcement earlier this month. And if you want to dive even deeper into the wide world of Mountain Dew flavors, Geraldine DeRuiter on her The Everywhereist blog this past summer tried 21 different flavors of Mountain Dew and lived to tell the tale. Her reviews of the different flavors get increasingly unhinged as she goes along. Here's her review of the original Baja Blast, quote, Have you ever wanted to taste something the same color as Windex, but allegedly less likely to make you go blind? This tastes like bland fruit punch and is somehow vaguely vegetal. Later, I looked at my notes. Meaningless, I've written. I'm not sure if I'm referring to the drink or my own dew-ridden existence. End quote. If you were previously unaware of how many flavors of Mountain Dew there are, or just want an entertaining read, I highly recommend it. Pairs well with Mountain Dew Overdrive. Link in the show notes. I might give a bit more information and context for this tomorrow, but just a quick update that as of recording, NASA's Artemis 1 launch attempt is still a go for Wednesday, November 16th at 1.04 a.m. Eastern Time, with weather currently assessed at 90% favorable. So that's basically late Tuesday night for all of you Americans listening. And honestly, so far it is sounding like the best odds the rocket and spaceship have had yet, but, you know, knock on wood. And that's going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.